Hi team and welcome back to the Carb Appropriate Podcast. In this episode, I was lucky enough to chat with my good friend Michelle Yandel. Michelle is a nutrition coach who focuses on empowered eating, intuitive eating and various non-diet and holistic approaches. I think Michelle embodies some of the best that we see in the nutrition coaching world because that space which is growing rapidly in nutrition can be pervaded by pseudoscience and things that really just are not effective and can in some cases be dangerous. But Michelle is very evidence-based, she understands her scopes of practice and she's done a lot of study in the nutrition sciences at my institute, the Holistic Performance Institute. So Michelle is one of the leaders in this area in New Zealand. I hope you enjoy this chat today. Please remember to subscribe to us on YouTube and on the various podcasting channels. And if you have any questions, reach out. We'd love to hear from you. Welcome to the Carb Appropriate Podcast. I'm your host, Cliff Harvey. This song don't give a damn. If the rhymes don't fit with the DJ, quit. This song don't give a damn. You can't sing or dance to it, can't romance to it. This song ain't arrogant If you don't try and buy it Or if your radio denies it Don't care about what, who got What's cool on TV Or what spots hot, I forgot I ain't mad at evolution But I stand for revolution Get up, enough is enough Somebody stand up Welcome back to the Carb Appropriate Podcast. Uh, today, I'm stoked to be talking with my good buddy, Michelle Yandel. Um, we met, I'm thinking about five years ago, Michelle. Yeah. And you, uh, you you studied with us at the Holistic Performance Institute. We obviously became friends. And I think that in, in many respects, I sort of see you as being the, the best example of what a health coach should be in this country because I think it can be done well and it can be done poorly. Um, but but you've obviously moved on a, a little bit from that. So for, for people who don't know you do, you, do you want to explain a little bit about your transition from originally you're a teacher to a nutrition coach to sort of health and wellness coach and now moving into that area of what you call empowered eating? Yeah, so I moved here from Canada nine years ago and I was initially trained as a school teacher and which was was fine for a little while but i was finding it incredibly stressful the school system's a little bit different here to canada and there was a lot more pressure and got to a point where um, i contemplated leaving teaching even though that was terrifying considering it was a permanent you know position but to me i was thinking well i'm going to be permanently stressed so that can't be good for my health so i i did make the decision to transition into something different and started studying initially with the um the institute for integrative nutrition and i didn't find that that gave me everything that i needed um in fact it created a lot of confusion especially around nutrition and so that's when (laughs) (laughs) which is not what you want from a nutrition course (laughs) yeah i know yeah yeah it almost gave me an eating disorder but that's another story um but yeah so i then um found your course through your book because I was working with Newsdesk and loving their products and found your course and thought, okay, well, this is what I need because, you know, I did give me some good skills as far as being a coach, 
but I did have that gap and I wanted something that was based in New Zealand and not just this US program that's you know nobody's really maybe heard of um, but yeah so that's how I get into that and yeah I was doing the coaching and I was doing a lot of uh, you know six-week detox programs and random things like that and just realized that you know while my clients were were seeing results initially there was always something that would happen. They would self-sabotage or they would just give up altogether. They'd fall off the wagon. I wouldn't see them again. And I'm like, well, if I'm supposed to be helping these people, obviously I'm doing something wrong if they're not able to maintain it, you know, long term. And so I started to investigate a lot more of the, well, why aren't they sticking to it? What's going on? Mm -hmm. And that just opened this vortex of like, oh my God. Um, and, and so that's when I started to get into, you know, empowered eating, which was a slightly different way of looking at things. And so I had to shift my own mindset. I had to completely shift my business mindset. Uh, it, it was a huge transition, but it, I'm at a place now where I just, I feel so strongly about what I'm teaching and feeling um, confident in what I'm teaching and am seeing more long-term results and a lot more uh, people being at peace with food, which is which is huge for me. Yeah, it's um, it's really interesting for me seeing the rise of 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 health coaches now. When I'm talking about health coaches with you, I am talking about the ones who do it well. Um, but it's really interesting to to see that because it very much is looking at you know the the holistic approach to someone's health mm. and not necessarily treating disorder you know it's not really even if the person has a condition they're under the care of someone else or whatever it very much is about health coaching with respect to looking at more than just the nuts and bolts of nutrition or whatever modality people have um, and the reason that's so interesting is because for a long time I think that we we pathologized health so much that if we were working in the mental space you know, we pretty much had say psychotherapists psychologists counselors who were very much dealing with people who had you know purported problems and we had nutritionists who were working with food and very much looking at it scientifically and treating someone's disorder whether that's you know things classed as disorders like obesity or being with overweight or other medical conditions mm -hmm. but there was I think a real lack there of people looking at those reasons why like you say and actually beginning to integrate that you know mind body spirit emotion side and if if nothing else, it's probably been a wake up call to the industry that hey, you can't just be focusing on giving someone a diet plan. There's there's more going on here. That prescriptive model doesn't seem to to work long term in lots of cases. In some it might, but yeah, like you say, it's um it's looking more at the bigger picture that that's that's happening, eh? Yeah, I think it never works in isolation, and that's the key. Um, that's actually something I want to talk with you about it at some point. Well, we could probably talk about that now, seeing we're there. But, um, you know, it's certainly true that I think the the very prescriptive ideas of nutrition don't work. On the other hand, I think that when we solely work with, um, I guess, em empowered processes around self-belief and self-perception sometimes that doesn't quite work in isolation either and that's where i think from my point of view there needs to be some integration of that you know and i've talked about that with you before i sort of look at it as being freedom within structure 
you know, having enough structure so that people can actually achieve results, but also having freedom and also freedom that that freedom involves freedom from negative self-perception and involves freedom from societal perception as well. Where do you sit with that? Because I know some people in, you know, the, the non-diet community are, are very opposed to prescription of diet or prescription of nutrition or, or having those sorts of structures. Hmm. I think that, yeah, and, that, and that's a tricky sort of, you know, you've got this this gray area with that. And I do think that the issue is that a lot of people are becoming completely confused about what to eat. And so they do need some guidance. Um, you know, like say we're in a society where this highly palatable food is everywhere and it's, you know, one day it's it's don't have sugar, the next it's don't have fat. And, and people are really confused. And I think that mm. really important part of, of empowered eating is mainly clearing up some of the BS, but also helping them with the getting back to the basics and yeah, what does your body need to, to feel great? Um, can we add a little bit of it, do a little bit of experimenting? Can we try to tweak things and figure out as opposed to a willy nilly, just, just feel it out. Um, mm. so I do believe that they need some education where I struggle is with something being too prescriptive in the sense that Monday you need to eat this, Tuesday you need to eat that, because the danger of that is that if people go off of that script, they then feel that they failed and then they give up altogether. So I would rather give them some guidance and let them create their plans, you know, using that guidance. So it's sort of a people do they want to know what's healthy they are confused sadly <laughs> as you know um yeah. it, it should be really simple but it's not anymore it's a really good point i remember probably in my first year or two of practice a, a lot of clients would ask for very precise plans yeah. you know they would actually come in that they'd say look i want you to tell me exactly what to eat and when to eat it i want it on a full weekly schedule. So I want you to tell me what to eat for breakfast, lunch, dinner, Monday through Sunday. And I, I didn't feel comfortable with that. But you know, when you first get into practice, you kind of you, you do things because you're not sure you think maybe that's the right way to do it. And so I developed some plans for people like that. And it didn't work for a number of reasons. It didn't work because it was way too onerous for me to create that. But it, it didn't educate them either, because they had this plan and they felt like it was a complete no brainer. The problem with that is they didn't learn anything about either nutrition or about their mm. responses to the food environment. So they were just expecting basically to have this template. And if I can follow it, I'll be fine. But that completely neglects the emotional side of things. You know, what happens when you're really hungry or what happens when you're sad or what happens when you're down? What happens when you don't have the plan in front of you? You haven't actually learned anything, yeah. so you can't re responsively create a meal. And so I stopped doing that. Yeah. What, what if you get invited out to lunch or what if you get, you know, like, are you just going to say, I'm sorry, I can't eat and, and lose that social aspect because, you know, you've got a plan. So, yeah, totally. So, you know, we can talk a little bit about some of the, I guess, the nuts and bolts of, of how you actually encourage people to, to be able to eat, you know, well on, on balance overall. But I'm really interested because you've mentioned the term a couple of times empowered eating 
how does that differ from other sort of non-diet approaches? So how would that differ from haze or from intuitive eating and, and those types of things? Okay. Um, I guess it, it just, the biggest difference would be the model itself that I use initially. So the model I use, as you know, is based on the medicine wheel, mm. which is thing taught to me from my ancestors. Um, and here in New Zealand being te whare tapafa, you know, but just that idea of holistic health. So, so a lot of principles are taken from intuitive eating. A lot of principles are taken from holistic performance nutrition. Um, and it's all sort of intertwined with the medicine wheel being what I call the backbone or the framework of it all. So that's what to me makes empowered eating different. Um, regards to the hat, the health at every size approach, haste, has, I'm not sure how they say it. Um, I actually align with that really well. And I think that empowered eating does align with that approach, which is essentially that anybody, any shape body deserves equal health care and yep. healthy habits. And so that's something that I'm sure you agree with as well. And something that I align with, but it is something different what I'm offering with a lot of those principles intertwined within it mm. within that wheel yeah yeah no, I really appreciate that you you know you've talked to me about non-diet approaches and haze and things like that because it, it has highlighted that I you know with takes haze for example health at every size I don't think anyone can argue with that because everyone at any size is entitled to, to have health care and to be able to pursue health and pursue health in the way that they want to and for there not to be you know negative perception around doing that you know it, it always breaks my heart when I see someone who is maybe in a bigger body running and people criticize that person like you know they, they have these silly comments like run faster or whatever that makes no sense because the person is pursuing health and, mm. and, and people are judging them for it, for it. All the time. And so I, I, I appreciate that you sort of highlighted that aspect to me of it's not about healthy at every size necessarily. It's about the, the ability to, to pursue health and, and to have health at every, any mm -hmm. sort of size. One thing where I've tripped up a lot though and you might disagree with me here, but I, I've seen, I think there's a lot of misperception within the non-diet community about what the what these things actually mean. Because I've seen practitioners, I've had practitioners say to me, and I've had pr practitioners say to my clients, things like, it doesn't matter what size you are, um, because there's no association between, you know, being, overweight or with obesity and health. I've had um, other clients come to me and say, I've been told by a certain practitioner that despite my medical condition, I should not be following any particular medical diet because I should just be eating intuitively. And in one case, it was a, a person with celiac disease and a registered dietitian had said you shouldn't be following restrictive diets you should allow yourself to eat whatever you want including gluten and i just thought that's to, to me that's not 
that doesn't appear to align with the principles because I've read every paper that's been published on Hayes now because I wanted to know more about it. And, and that's not what it says. Is, is, am I getting things right here or wrong? Yeah, that, that's just silly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, and and it is it's, it's one of those things i think that you start out with a you know with a basic idea of what something is like haze and then it gets it's like the bible and then it gets misinterpreted in a million different ways and then people say but it says this and this is how and i think that that is the case i mean i'm no haze expert and i'm not non-diet enough for most of the people in that intuitive eating spectrum <laughs> so there's always going to be critics there's always going to be different ways of interpreting things mm. but the, the thing that i align with most you know if you go straight to the definition of health at every size it basically says that you know body weight shouldn't be a source of discrimination and that everybody should have the resources and everything that they need to support their well-being um just you know despite the size that that's it that's the core message and from that's the bible and from there you've got all these different interpretations yeah. and you know people just it's sort of like um uh you know and when when people confirmity by uh, confirmation bias you know they're just finding what suits mm. them and pulling that out of it and and using that so the fact that you know everybody deserves you know the the health improvements and health care i mean that's the underlying message and also that you know in in some cases you can't look at somebody and say what their health status is and that's another part of it you've got many people with six pack abs that aren't healthy you've got somebody who is you know technically obese and running marathons and has perfect health you know it's it's just one of those things you can't I mean in some cases you might be able to look at somebody but in most cases you know unless you know their background and their story and what's going on inside you can't really make that judgment call like whether they're skinny or overweight absolutely yeah and, and one thing I really I actually, I think I listened to a podcast with uh, Glenn McIntosh, who's one of the collaborators behind Recondition Me. And he's obviously very involved in that area. And I had seen some some people reposting it at, with their sort of take on it. And I was, I, I listened to it thinking that I would disagree with a lot that was in there because I kind of mm -hmm. thought, oh no, this is verging on that sort of area where, where it's becoming pseudoscientific. When I listened mm -hmm. to it, 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 was completely aligned with the way that I've practiced for 22 years because yeah. the, the whole focus was about not being weight focused in clinical prescription. Yeah. And that's something I've never done because, you know, people will come and they, they want to achieve weight loss, for example. And one thing that I think is really missing there is that the realization that no one actually wants to achieve a weight. A weight is not an achievement for anybody. What's an achievement mm -hmm. is their perception of how they will be if they achieve that particular body size, shape, or whatever. So then that comes down to a whole bunch of things, some of which are intrinsic motivators, like I will feel better, I'll be more energetic, maybe oh. I'll have the, you know, the energy to play with my kids more or play sport or whatever. 
And there's also extrinsic motivators like, uh, you know, I, I might be more confident because people will find me more attractive. Now, I think once people begin to look at those things and actually begin to become aware of what is an extrinsic driver versus an intrinsic driver, mm. that's the real goal because it's the intrinsic motivators that are the important achievements, right? Not, yeah. not a, a weight, a scale weight. I know I'm rambling here a little bit, but there's one other aspect to it. I started thinking very early, this is probably, a, again, a year or two into practice, form follows function. So when I'd have athletes, for example, coming to me and saying, because athletes often have eating disorders, right? And often they, their sport, in some cases, I've dealt with a lot of athletes whose sport was actually a way for them to achieve a lower body weight because they had body dysmorphia. And they would come in saying things like, I need to be this weight in order to compete at my best. And I would say, hold on, well, why don't we, why don't you do the activity that you know is best for putting you in, you know, championship contention? And I'll fuel you the best way that I know how to, to get you performing as well as you can. Mm -hmm. I guarantee your body will take on the shape it's supposed to have to do what you need to do, whether it's the weight you think or three kilos or five kilos or 10 kilos heavier than what you think is best. Yeah, totally. And it's interesting because you get people say that things like, "All when I lose those three kgs, I'll be healthy. Like those three kgs are the only determinant of, of ill health. And, and but like you say, I mean, pace and, and, you know, empowered eating, it's, it's not about, you know, not helping somebody if they've got a you know a certain condition that needs a prescriptive model when it comes to food and diet um you know i think of two people going to the doctor's office and one person goes to the doctor's office who's in a larger body and the doctor says you just need to lose weight doesn't tell so much how but says you need to lose some weight some person goes say this person has diabetes another person with diabetes goes to the doctor's office who's thin and they say, well, let's be mindful of your carbohydrates and let's look at that. <clears throat> Whereas the larger bodied person would have benefited from that information just as well. But instead it goes straight to that. You just need to lose weight, you know, and, and that's where that stigma comes in. And that's where, you know, you're losing out on an opportunity to help this person to feel really great by looking at the carbohydrate amounts, you know, carb appropriate nutrition, and by just going straight to just lose weight without any guidance about that, that's not helping that person at all. No. So what, what you're saying is I'm a Hayes practitioner. Pretty much. <laughs> I don't know if they would. <laughs> but some, some of them may, um, may not agree with us on that. They probably think I wasn't very Hayes either. But there's a lot of, um, yeah, there's some interesting personalities within it. Uh, that's for sure. That's the same for any way of eating or any nutrition philosophy, I'm sure. I don't think I'm allowed to be body positive because I, um, I'm i a middle-aged white male scientist. <laughs> <laughs> so your last book was called um, Empowered Eating, The Empowered Eating Handbook. Am I getting that right? Am I, I'm not forgetting, am I? That's the last one that was that was published. I've got one in the in the works, but that's sorry, yeah. Oh, cool, yeah. I really enjoyed that, and I really loved the you know the idea of the medicine wheel and and how you were sort of drawing on that ancestral holistic idea of health and sort of bringing that through into the modern world. Have your um, 
have your perceptions on on health or nutrition changed since then? Is there anything that's that's sort of I, I guess there's going to be in your new book, right? But how have your perceptions changed since you published the last one? Um, they haven't changed a lot, to be honest. Uh, I think what that did is really it's like the first time really in all my interest in nutrition that they haven't changed a lot. It's like once mm. I figured out this, this idea of, of the medicine wheel and, you know, holistic health, that it was like this aha moment and now everything's just becoming solidified. And so, you know, it's, it's actually things have just fallen into place. And for once I've been able within that framework to sort of, um, you know, maintain this idea of what's healthy. It's, it's actually, it's been really liberating for me because prior to that, it was changing all the time. Mm. <laughs> and now everything is sort of falling into this framework really nicely. And, and so there hasn't honestly been a lot. I mean, I've had my own aha moments, but that's all really happened leading up to the, you know, the, the writing of this book. And honestly, I think I had need to have some more nutrition, um, conversations if there's going to be anything to change up in my own little bubble for so long but yeah it's it's really just solidified rather than changed since then but you um you, you said that you've you've been incorporating that a little bit you've been incorporating that into your life as you've sort of evolved this idea and now that's a fairly constant in your life so mm -hmm. what what are those things that you now do that that are critical for your life of health and balance well, I mean, as you as you know, when you met me, I was a lot more restrictive in my eating, a lot more rigid. And I, you were actually really influential in that shift happening of, of being able to have a bit of balance. And so having been a yo-yo dieter, when I started to study nutrition, it just it just was a vortex, really. And it was like, get to the point where I was fearing foods. And, and, you know, felt really, um, really great if I was sticking to the plan and if I ate something that was off the plan, it was, you know, toxic and it was probably going to kill me. And, you know, it just really got a bit out of control. And it was actually uh, a few things all, all revolving around HBN. But the first thing was the the paper that I had to write for you. And I wrote it on orthorexia and read it to my husband. And he said, oh, you're writing about yourself. That's cool. I was like, oh, <laughs> thanks. But that was really eye-opening for me mm. that maybe I was becoming a bit too strict with my eating. I didn't even realize it. I just thought I was being healthy, and that's what healthy was. And then the second thing was actually uh, when I went to stay with you and Bella one night, and I was expecting, you know, nutritionists that it would be not saying that you don't have these things, but I was expecting salads and, you know, whatever, like superfoods, you know, I don't know what you're going to make with that. But anyway, I get there and it was pizza and beer, like so normal. And that was another like, aha moment for me too, because I realized it made me really angry to a certain extent that a lot of the wellness bloggers and a lot of the people out there, they, they don't show that side of things. They're only showing the highlights, the superfoods, <clears throat> bowls you know all of this and not showing enough of you know what I had a donut no big deal um I think people need to see that I actually had an interview or a, had a, a chat uh, a coffee date with Ben Warren because I called him out once uh, for one of his articles and he says well let's meet for coffee and I was like oh shit um so we did <laughs> 
I, I, he said to me, and you know, I would probably deny this, but he told me how he loves croissants. And I said, well, Ben, you need to tell people that you love croissants. You've got people so fearful of gluten that they would never touch a croissant. And I'm like, <laughs> I think it's important for us as health advocates to show that we can have a bit of fun food and it's not the end of the world. And so that's the biggest change for me is now having that balance and now being okay with oh what would be an example for me having a, a crisp we're going to bring donuts we were going to talk about donuts but having a crispy cream donut or having something that's considered totally junk and knowing that that's not going to spiral my health out of control <clears throat> um, you know i'm not going to go have to go straight to the hospital and get pumped with something you know it's it's just a donut. And that actually took me a long time to get to that point where I could have that and not, you know, feel worry or fear, or anxiety or guilt about it. And, yeah, so that's the best. And how has that changed your your overall nutrition? Do you find it's easier to you know, to do those things that are really good for your health and wellness consistently if you've got that that freedom? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is not so much improving my nutrition because I was always really good at, you know, having a really nutritional diet. But the mm. biggest thing was more around mental health because, as you know, if you're stressed or anxious, that's actually not very good for your health. And so what this has done is it allowed me to just be a little bit more relaxed overall and being able to enjoy food and enjoy social interaction that involves foods that aren't on the plan. Um, that's been the biggest thing for me. Nutritionally, I wouldn't say a lot's changed. You know, it's, it's not like when I have a, a donut or something that it sucks out those nutritional you know, nutrients that I've had all week or anything like that. Uh, so nothing would have really changed nutritionally, but what it's done is it's just opened up a lot more freedom and a lot more uh, fun, really. <laughs> yeah. I I think I realized pretty early on in practice that a lot of the meals that people eat are fairly inconsequential. What I mean by that is there's not a lot tied up with them socially or, or emotionally. So there's not a psychosocial component with a lot of them. You know, we wake up in the morning, we prepare breakfast because we're going to go off to work and then we have lunch at work and then we get home and have dinner. And we've basically eaten, you know, well for a full day if we've chosen good quality foods. There's no real difference there if we chose maybe poorer quality foods because we weren't getting anything out of it anyway. So one thing I often talked with my clients about from the very early days was, you know, think about your meals and how many of them, it doesn't matter whether you're eating what you consider to be like a healthy or a, a treat meal. Like, okay, yeah, most of them, it doesn't matter. So I said, well, wh why not change all those and then not worry about the others? You know, don't stress about when you're out for dinner or if you really feel like going out for cake on a Sunday or whatever, do that because that's when it's actually important psychosocially. The rest of the time doesn't matter. And that's where I think we can meet in the middle with the structures or the sort of wherewithal to actually achieve superior health, but also mm. to have the freedom and it doesn't it doesn't actually make a dent. It's it's not important. 
No, no. I mean, if it were completely replacing, you know, everything else that you should be eating nutritionally, yeah, it might make a difference. But it's 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 not. If we can have those that framework and those guidelines for our most of the time, and enjoy those some of the time foods, I mean. To me, that that's normal eating. I know a lot of people struggle with that. I know that the more restrictive our mindset is, the more <clears throat> fearful people are of having a donut or something because they'll eat the whole box or, um, you know, they'll eat the whole chocolate bar. So I can't have any chocolate, you know, and there's yeah. a lot of work to be done around mindset with stuff. And, and that's where that mindful eating and mindfulness can come in and also that that permission to eat it. But asking yeah. yourself if you really want it, you know, or are you just eating it because you've been restricting it for, for too long. And I think recognizing the, you know, one thing, one piece of work that we did, which I actually think was quite important because I didn't realize at the time, but when we did a, one of our ketogenic studies, we published a paper that was the first ever paper published on the lived experience of people following a ketogenic diet. And because it was qualitative, we could really get in touch with how they were feeling about it because we weren't quantifying anything. There were no surveys or anything. It was just purely what they were diarizing every day and what we had recorded from them in, in focus groups. So it was very much just from the heart. This is how I relate to the diet. And it was really interesting because we saw what we thought were quite defined behavioral types. And I think I've talked about this before with you, that the abstainers and the moderators and I think when we look at different types of people and their behavioral tendencies, that really plays into how how people perceive what is freedom and structure. You know, and the reason I thought about that is when you, um, you know, when you brought up that f for some people, maybe they don't feel as if they can uh, have a donut because they'll eat the whole box. My approach personally is I will eat the whole box. Right. But it's within a short window because I know that I'm going to have my sweet treat once a week because it's what works for me. If I let it get out of hand, I'll eat donuts every single day and that will not be good for my health. And it's not that I'm worried about weight or anything like that. It's that I have Crohn's disease and bipolar disorder and I will be a fucking basket case who's in pain. And I don't want to do that. And no one wants that. Um, Bella doesn't want to do that. No. What I'm getting at, though, is when I have the, that structure that allows for a, a feeding window in which I have complete freedom, I feel great about it. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I remember one guy who doesn't get enough credit for talking about this is Eric Helms, because I know mm -hmm. that a lot of people look at him and say, well, he's a very quantified guy. He's a bodybuilder. You know, he, he possibly plays into that whole dysmorphia kind of thing. But he educates people on dysmorphia. They just mm -hmm. don't realize they're being educated on it. But I remember talking to him once about my sort of treat meals. And I said, oh, you know, I, I have a I have a big binge on Sunday. And he said, well, it's not a binge. I said, what do you mean? He said, it's not a binge because a binge is when you feel negative and you feel shame and guilt and things like that about it. How do you feel after it? So I, I feel great. I get it out of my system and I'm done. It's like, well, that, that's a positive feeding habit then, assuming you're in good health and you're moving towards your goals. And I thought that that's a really cool way to look at it because if basically if what's working works, then keep doing it. It's just taking away that the guilt for people, eh? It's that guilt and shame that leads to that that spiraling and that that you know that vortex. And I think 
if you can go, you know what, it's, it's not a big deal. It's all part of a healthy, you know, a healthy balanced way of eating then, and remove that guilt. That's, that's the key. That's huge for lots of people. And that's probably a work in progress for a lot of people who have been on diet after diet after diet. But that's what I hope to do is to help people to just get rid of that guilt. It's like no big deal. You ate a box of donuts. Um, mm. You've eaten really amazing food all week. It's not going to make a difference. Um, you're not going to gain 20 kgs or pretty much you're just going to gain how much those donuts weighed and then that'll move along. <laughs> and not even that because it's actually very difficult to hold on to it in, in that short yeah. window of time. Yeah, I think that a lot of – I think more people – struggle with their nutrition than we even think you know we, we know that we have certain challenges with you know what they call the sort of diabetes epidemic of metabolic syndrome and things like that we know that we have a significant amount of people who suffer with um you know eating disorders predominantly anorexia and bulimia nervosa but i think in terms of that orthorexia idea and the the compulsion and the obsessiveness around food, I think that's extraordinarily common. And I, I mm -hmm. you know, myself included, I can fall into patterns of being obsessed with food and I can fall mm -hmm. into patterns of being, you know, saying, bugger it, I'm just going to eat what I want and then, you know, go off the rails for a while and then become too restrictive and realize I'm being too restrictive mm -hmm. and then get back into some better habits. But it is a, a constant, it's, it's a constant hard. progression. Yeah. What's it, it is. Yeah, well, I mean, and, and what do you think accounts for that? Why do you think people struggle so much now? Is the foods available? Do you think it's, um, you know, social media? Do you think what what's going on? I'm going to interview you now, but just love uh, I, to hear your thoughts. I think it's really interesting because I think we have we've got a, a lot of accumulating influences. When I got into nutrition in the 1990s it was actually quite weird to be as into nutrition as i was whereas now everyone has a hyper focus on it and so i think we have number one we have a hyper focus on nutrition and doing it perfectly we also have a food environment that is really difficult to deal with because we have hyper palatable calorie rich foods that are sold to us in incredibly evocative ways we also have the the guilt and shame around body size, body image. You know, we have the ideals of perfection. And then I think we have other media. So it's mixed media that also drives that ideal of perfection, which is basically a facade. And I noticed recently because I um, wasn't feeling too good. I was having a bit of a down with my mental health. And one thing I, I did was I, I went away for a couple of days and I spent a lot of time in nature. And I I went back to do some of the habits that I previous, that I'd sort of let slide a little bit. And those are not related to food. There was basically um, get, getting rid of all social apps off my phone, deleting the particular news app I used because I realized that it was algorithmically really triggering me because it was basically giving me clickbait. Um, right. I use newsfeed eradicators and things like that on, on social, on, on my computer. So basically when I'm doing my email communication or my social, all I'm doing is going in and checking the notifications from my community and doing what I need to do there. 
and I'm not seeing all the other media. We don't, as you know, we don't have television. I don't listen to the radio, things like that. And I noticed from doing that, every aspect of health started to improve because I was calmer. I was sleeping mm -hmm. better, but I also wasn't getting triggered to the point where I was sort of eating as emotionally as I was mm -hmm. or being advertised something like, you know, you need to be eating this Big Mac right now. It's like, I don't want, but somewhere in the back of your mind, you're thinking, yeah, I do need to be eating that right now. Yeah, that'd be yum. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. the, the media we feed ourselves, I think, is is really compelling. And people know that, but they don't typically do anything about it. And I, I would really like to see from the top down some some government intervention there, like they've done in Sao Paulo and Brazil. They took down all the billboards. They banned billboards. And apparently the effect on mental health was pretty pronounced. You know, I think we could do the same thing with a lot of the the, the media we're getting to have it not be quite so, um, to not drive those negative patterns for people. Mm, absolutely. And it was interesting hearing you talk about, you know, getting out into nature and being mindful of social media and how that affected your health. And I mean, that's really what empowered eating is all about, isn't it? And, you know, the whole idea of te whare tapafa and whenua mm. and the land and getting connected with that again and you know how it's all it's all connected yeah yeah and I, I think um one thing that you and i have discussed a lot i know in the past is is mindfulness as an adjunct to to health and obviously mindfulness is going to affect every aspect of health but I know that we, we discussed a particular study a few years ago where they had people on a mindfulness-based um, program and others on a weight loss diet. And the people on the mindfulness program achieved better health outcomes anyway because they were then more aware of what they were doing. And that's probably where people can make the breakthrough and actually eat somewhat intuitively but still actually get results because intuitively then doesn't just mean, well, I'm triggered, I'm going to go eat a donut kind of thing. No, but, it means just paying attention, really, you know, just just going, oh, look, I'm having a craving for this. What do you think that's about? Oh, it's about this. And then you can make that conscious decision whether you still want to have it or not. And whereas opposed to that highway hypnosis of food where you're just eating all the food because it's there or because you saw the billboard or because you, you know, and that's what, um, what I believe intuitive eating is a little bit more about is just starting to, stop and pay attention so do, do you think that mindfulness gets enough attention in nutrition full stop whether that be sort of non-diet approaches or just in nutrition in general i think it's growing i think uh actually i don't know if it's growing or if it's just that i tend to follow it more but <laughs> all i know I, I think that it needs a lot more attention i think that right now we're still seeing things like you know, the celery juice fed and the, I don't know what the latest part is. And it's like people are just all for it, like straight into it as opposed to stopping, which another thing that empowered eating is about is questioning it, you know, going, hmm, does this make sense? You know, if you could ask that question for so many things out there, I think it would be very empowering for people to go, well, actually, it doesn't kind of make sense, but they don't often ask themselves that or they don't look for uh, the evidence or, you know, they're just going with this person who said, look at me, I'm beautiful. And it's because I've been having celery juice, you know, and that's, that's what they're seeing. And um, it's, yeah, I think that that mindfulness and that awareness and that 
getting that that you know that cognitive sort of things into here where you're just going hmm is that actual science i mean that's one thing that really appealed to me about hpn was you know the myth busting you know the the blood type diets the hair testing which is massive um, you know, alkaline diets, all of these. I love that about HPN. And that was a big part of what I do now is, is that myth busting to give people some peace to go. Now, you don't have to eat this way to be healthy. You can actually have a gentler approach and still be healthy. Yeah. And p people see that as being opposed to holism. And as you know, I, I, that really gets my back up because, you know, I, I, I'm fully holistic. But I think there are certainly things that we have enough evidence to show that they simply don't work. To mm. to to reject those things is not that's that is holistic, but it's also uh, abiding by our first precept as practitioners, which is to do no further harm. Now, some people will say, "Oh, what's the harm in having someone on, you know, a particular regimen?" Well, the the harm is to their wallet, really, because you're giving them you're selling them something that is not valid. I was blown away the other day when I had a question about the celery juice diet. And I was, I was sort of thinking, is, is this still a thing? Because this was around in the seventies, the eighties, the nineties. And I, I looked it up and there's a guy who is very well known and making a truckload of dough. I didn't know who he was. I was blown away that you'd never heard of him. <laughs> this is he's the, been the medium. Medical like medium. Just, yeah. yeah. He's just been everywhere. Well, I, I mean, I would, I'd be stoked if I had got my, um, my doctorate by proxy through the spirit world, that would be pretty cool. <laughs> Unfortunately, oh I had to spend many years in university to get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then look, Hey, there's the charlatans out there, unfortunately. And that's why I think it's so important <clears throat> to teach people skills to actually question stuff. And, um, and, and yeah, if it's not doing you any harm and it's not hurting your what wallet or you don't care about it then that's fine my biggest thing i say to everybody is that you're an adult and you can do whatever you like exactly um, it's just about giving people the tools to, to question and to think about things before they they do it yeah and i think that it's it's one of the challenges i think with the the way media social media you know all the mixed media we get at the moment it, it can be quite difficult i think for those really credible thought leaders and practitioners to break through. And unfortunately, sometimes, you know, people will be attracted to some of these charlatans, whereas there are people out there who are extraordinarily credible and equally holistic, but credibly holistic. And they're maybe not getting the play that they want. And that's why, you know, I, I really like to highlight people that I think are doing great work who maybe don't get the attention they deserve uh, you know, a good example of that is next week I'm talking with Darren Ellis on the podcast. Dude's the, he's, you know, he's the man when it comes to movement and, and nutrition too in New Zealand. And, you know, I, I think he's one of those guys like yourself, like Mickey Willardin, like many others who probably don't quite get the um, the, the traction they should because the, the avocados and the medical mediums of the world tend to take the limelight. <laughs> uh, I'll get off my soapbox yeah. now. <laughs> so we think talking about some of the woo stuff because i there's some weird things that i do and you know they're particularly in the realms of mind body medicine where it's very difficult to actually do proper studies on them 
So we can see, for example, like some of the modalities I use, they they work. There's no doubt they work, but we can't really determine whether they actually work better than placebo, say, because it's just too difficult to do controlled studies on them. Are there any sort of weird things that you do in your practice that other people think are crazy or any sort of weird things you're into that other people think are a little bit weird? <laughs> I think most people think I'm a little bit weird in general. Um, but uh, I don't know. I've got a pretty open mind and, you know, I totally believe in that the whole spirit world and the sense of there being ghosts and, and communicating with them. I guess that would be a bit weird. Though I've never asked a ghost what I should eat nutritionally um, <laughs> or what my pa you know, my patient should eat. Uh, it's, it's just more about being open-minded in that sort of sense. And it's, there's nothing, I mean, I don't, I, I have a lot of um, respect for people who do things like, you know, Reiki and all of that. And like I say, there may not be so much solid evidence as the science behind it. Maybe there is, I don't know, but it works for people. And, and if placebo works and it's not doing you any harm, then I'm all for it. I'm one of these people though, I tend to not, I said I was open-minded, but I do tend to not believe in a lot of stuff like that, or I just never see the results. And so mm. if something does work for me, then I'm like, oh, wow, this is this is really cool. This actually works really well because I tend to be a skeptic first. And, yeah. um, and so often placebo doesn't work for me. Like, oh, nah, it's not going to work, um, which could also have that negative impact of not working because I don't think it's going to work either. So it's all a twisted cycle of, I don't know. But I mean, no, I mean, I'm pretty, I'm pretty ordinary with my practice and not a lot of woo happening on my part, but I'm open to woo in, in some ways. It's not going to be harmful for somebody. Yeah. So you, you mentioned obviously HBN a few times, so we won't, we don't need to rehash that, but what, um, which nutrition and health experts have been sort of your biggest influences or who are now your go-tos? Oh gosh, it's going to be awkward. I'm going to say you, of course. Um, <laughs> right to preface it by saying you don't need to. <laughs> I know, but I mean, you have been really influential. Uh, other than that, I mean, I have gotten a lot out of the whole intuitive eating, Evelyn Triboli and the um, Health at Every Size and the author of that. I've got a lot from them that I had never encountered before in my life as far as this whole different way of looking at health and just being okay with being if you're in a larger body. I mean, that was all new. I mean, I was a dieter my whole life. And so that's had a really huge impact. Also, I mean, even the likes of Nadia Lim, who you don't hear a lot about her dietitian side of things, but mm. she's been really influential in that balance, that idea of balance, you know, having fun food and, and having whole foods and, and how to make it easy and simple. You know, she's been really awesome. And they, they would be the biggest ones for me as far as, you know, being influential. But, you know, Eric Helms, I'm going to say him as well, because a lot of his talks at your conferences have really been eye-opening. And, you know, I love when he talked about throwing the Snickers bar bomb into people's eating plans and, you know, just little things like that. All of that's been all these little pieces that I've sort of put together to to make empowered eating. And I'm always, I mean, I'm always learning. There's so many great people out there, but 
you know, and, and even, you know, Bella, Bella nutritionist. I mean, she's been really influential too with a lot of her cooking styles and, you know, just simpler way of doing things and no BS. And it's just been great. So, you know, you kind of find your tribe and you mm. find people that are unique in, in a way that, you know, being real and down to earth and authentic and, and coming across more and more health practitioners that are real and authentic and weird and you know all these wonderful things that's had the biggest influence on me um as opposed to thinking i need to be this wellness figure as you see on social media you know for so long and then actually meeting some real down-to-earth amazing nutrition practitioners that's that's been huge yeah, no, I, I think that's where the area of micro, micro influence can be so powerful now mm. because, you know, I think people get really hung up on the idea that, well, that nutritionist has a million followers or this one has 50,000 followers. You know, I've only got 2,000 or whatever it happens to be, you know, and they, they get really hung up on the metrics. But w one thing that actually th that rings in the back of my mind when I think about stuff like that is when I wrote my first book, I talked about it with Ian Brooks and I don't know if I've told you this story before, but I talked about it with Ian Brooks. He's a good buddy of mine, mentor. Um, he's my, my best mate's dad. And he was at the time, the biggest selling business author in New Zealand. And um, he said, I know what you want to do with this book. You want to throw it in the bin. I was like, yep, I want to throw it in the bin. Cause I didn't want to put it out there and I didn't want to sort of put myself out there cause it would be open to criticism. Um, and, looking back, it should have been open to criticism because it's a pretty poor book really in retrospect. But um, he said, if it helps one person, it's, it's worth it. And I took that on board for everything, you know, even though sometimes it doesn't feel like it's worth it because you put all this work into something and maybe only one person buys your book. The reality is if they buy it and it's life changing, it's worth it. You know, so where people have 200 followers or 500 followers or 1,000, 2,000, 10,000, and those people are getting great information and it's connecting to them in the way they need to be connected to, that's powerful because mm. each of us are different as practitioners and we're going to attract a tribe that, that gets what they need out of us. And, and we can't hope to serve everybody in the world. No, and that's why that authenticity, I think, is so important and often neglected, I think, in the sense of just saying what you want and being yourself, because I think it was Saul Orwell that said, you know, there's billions of people in the world. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to appeal to everybody, but you could appeal to a lot. And those yeah. people really need you to be your authentic self and to have interesting conversations. And, you know, I think it's something that everybody's so fearful of being outside the, the click. I mean, that's been something we've been, you know, um, having in our lives for a long time since probably high school or, you know, even new entrants, you know, you start to get these little clicks and everybody wants to be part of that click. But I think if you can be outside the click or you can start to fit out, you're going to just help influence those people that really need it. Yeah. Shout out to Sol Orwell. His presentation at HPN last year was amazing. Yeah, it was awesome. It's good. I've been enjoying following him since... Yeah, one of the the best, I think, at putting out things that are very consummate. He doesn't do a lot, but what he does is is very good. It's always of an extremely high quality, and he's probably, I think, he's one of the best networkers 
like authentic networkers in our industry, bar none. He knows everybody. Everybody likes him. He likes everybody. And, and he actually creates those authentic connections. It's pretty cool. Mm, totally. He is the master of networking. <laughs> yeah. So outside of nutrition, because there's obviously more than just nutrition and what we sort of view as being health, who, who are some of your other influences? Do you have other books that really spring to mind as being influential for you or that have been life-changing any epiphanical moments that have sprung from other people or, or media? Hmm. Off the top of my head, that's a hard one. I mean, I've had influential books in the past that are still very pertinent, like the uh, Celestine prophecy for me. And, and that was a big one. That was just that whole, being more in tune and connection and you never know who you're going to meet and, you know, striking conversations with people, they might have something to teach you. And, you know, that's, that was really, really powerful for me. And really, I guess they're kind of woo books too, speaking of woo, but like the, you know, the whole, the secret, the law of attraction. I mean, that's been really life changing for me as well. And just all of those things that remind you about, being aware, connecting, listening, connecting with other humans, you know, that's that's been really big. And I think that I struggle sometimes now with a lot of my work being online, um, that I can feel that I'm connecting less with people in person mm. because I'm connecting more with people online. And I am starting to recognize that and realizing that I really need to to somehow balance that and you know because so many times in the past you're traveling and you're young and say you know you're sitting at a bus stop you just start a conversation with somebody maybe next to you or at a cafe whereas now you know I'm on my phone or you're in a waiting room at the doctors and you know whether as you might speak to the person next to you instead of looking at our phones and I think I, I'm really struggling with that because those books were so influential in the past you know about that connecting with other humans and um that's something that i'm definitely trying to be more aware of yeah that's um something i've become hyper aware of as the business has sort of moved more and more online as well and you know teaching less in, in person classes spending a little bit less time and well a lot less time in reality and clinic um i i began to notice the same thing really craving authentic in real life connection with people and I think it's critical, it's critical for mental health, you know, for, for each of us to not, it's not healthy, I don't think, to be inside your own house working from home all day, every day, and realize that you've been a couple of days without actually having any outside contact with real people. In my life. <laughs> at the moment <laughs> but that's where we learn right because we develop strategies you know one one thing that i i've realized recently is it's important for me to leave the. I, it sounds stupid right but it sounds so simple and, and almost silly but i i leave i make sure i leave the house every day and most people would be like i do that anyway because i go to work but because i work from home it's actually a key thing i need to remind myself of even if it's just to go up to the local cafe and grab a coffee or organize to meet with someone in a coffee shop or go and, you know, train with the guys doing jujitsu. Like jujitsu has been probably the best antidepressant I, I could have ever had. And it's not just because of the activity and the exercise. It's because I'm connecting with a community of like-minded people. And that's critically important. Mm, totally. Yeah. I do have to say, I have to get out every day or else 
you know, you do, you start to suffer for it. Um, I can only talk to my cats so much. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the humans or I'll get banished as a crazy cat lady soon. That's where I think that idea of daily checklists and some people don't like it, but I, I certainly for myself think if there's just a couple of things, maybe three things that I do every day, you know, get out in nature, um, you know, do some exercise and meditate or something like that. You know, th those are the things that really help to keep in balance. And it's not a lot, but it's just having oh. the little reminders there to check off every day. And the, the, the benefit over time is enormous. You're, you're non-negotiables. Exactly. Exactly. That's a great way to put it. So you've been in the industry for about 10, 10 years, I guess now. No, about half that pretty much. Yeah. Only, only five. I, I quit teaching five and a bit years ago. Oh, wow. um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm pretty new though. It's been something that I've been interested in all my life. I mean, I can remember looking at nutrition textbooks when I was in high school and just not believing in myself enough to pursue nutrition mm. until until later in life. But I, I mean, it was the, the plus side, I guess, of being a dieter when I was a child was that I was really wanted to know what's healthy and what's not healthy. And so the, the good side of, of the dieting was that I was really interested in nutrition and it just took me a little bit longer to, to pursue it as a career. So yeah, about just over five years. Okay, so I bet, but you've obviously achieved a lot within those five years. You know, you're pretty well known. You've got a, a thriving uh, little business down there in Taranaki. What advice would you give to someone who's just thinking about entering either the health or nutrition industry now? The the most influential thing for me, and we're going back to some, you know, this continuing theme was actually getting out there and connecting with people. And I remember in one course I took on business, is it always have your business card with you, bring yourself up in conversation, you know, talk to the person at the supermarket, uh, make friends with the, the guy at the, you know, store down the road, just actually speaking to people and, and having maybe some classes, just it's scary, especially in this online world for many people, but, almost all my successes have come from initially a conversation, reaching mm. out to somebody, making a friendship. Uh, that's, those have all been, you know, all of my biggest successes have come from that, from shaking somebody's hand, everything from a TED talk where it was just a, a casual conversation with somebody else who'd done a TED talk. And then it linked to the guy that I had met at a networking event who actually be, was actually organizing it. And, you know, I think of my being the brand ambassador for Binan that became, that was because of a friendship with the store owners in Watara. And, you know, even like with yourself, it was just reaching out and going, hey, I really liked your book. That's cool. And you know, it's, you're just getting out there and, and talking to people and being yourself. And like I said, that is scary for, for lots of people, but you never know who you're going to meet and you never know what it's going to lead to. And so just, and also, you know, just, you got to put the work in. I hate to say it, it's not going to be magic, but for anybody starting out, it's, it's a lot of work and yeah. it will get, it will get, I guess, easier in some ways, but um, it's not just going to happen from even, you know, even having a, 2,000 or 200,000 likes doesn't automatically equate success. 
So it's about the work that you put into it. So not to give up on yourself, really. Yeah, exactly. Now that's, um, you've managed to do that incredibly well, uh, connecting with people. And so I guess similarly to soul, it feels very authentic, right? And I think that's so important is that when we connect with people in the industry, it's it's not about looking for targets. You know, I think a lot of people look at networking in that old model of its targets that can help them to achieve X or whatever. You know, generally we don't know what's going to eventuate, but if we're connecting with people that we really dig what they do, then we're going to create that tribe around us that's really important. And, you know, that's one of the things that I think I might have mentioned this to, to you guys as students. Check out the people that you follow online and see how often they're just talking about themselves and how often they're talking about other people they respect or admire. And I think it's a really good metric for, for seeing whether someone's authentic, because if someone's constantly selling their message to you and either not talking about anyone else or putting other people down all the time, it goes to show that maybe they're not really in this for the right reasons because, you know, there are people who will do things that we can't do and they'll do it way better than us. Mm. And it also shows they don't have a scarcity mentality, right? If they're, yeah. if they're prepared to say, hey, like people will con contact me and say, hey, can I come and see you as a client? Sure. What are you after? I actually, I'm not the right person for you. I think you're better off seeing Michelle or you're better off seeing Kirsten or you're better off going to see Mickey, you know, depending on what they need. I would much rather do that because it makes my life easier and they get a better result. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think that's why people respect you for sure. I mean, it's, um, there's more than enough work out there. I mean, do doctors struggle to find patients? I mean, there's that many people out there that are looking to improve their health that it doesn't have to be a competition or a highlight reel or a popularity contest. We've all got our own traits and the more authentic you can portray yourself online, the better you're going to attract those people that are going to work best with you. Yeah. And yeah, I think that that's something that people, I know starting out, I tried to be like everybody else because I didn't know anything other. I was, I didn't know how to be, have a health business and so I was and there's nothing wrong with looking at others for inspiration but I thought I had to be them and really lost that authenticity for a while and you know the last few years being able to really be more myself and my business has been a lot less stressful for one and you know I think it's it's given me a better result as far as how things have have gone yeah, and it, it it reduces a lot of anxiety. I've been in the same position where you sort of see someone else doing something and you think, oh, no, I've got to do that. You know, I've got to do it this way or I need to do this new thing or I need to do a plan differently or I need to move into a different way of online coaching or whatever because you, that's the way to do it, apparently. Yeah. It's like, fuck. And then, yeah, totally. But you look at some of the you know, the, the people that I respect most in, in business, for example, they're not typically health people, but they do things, they approach things in very different ways. You know, I'm probably going to come up for some criticism here because I, I really dig Joe Rogan's podcast. The dude does it very authentically. I don't agree with everything he says. In fact, I disagree with a lot of what he says and a lot of the guests he have, but I, I think his, the model of what he does and the way he does it is exemplary. And then you compare that to someone who I also consider a real inspiration someone like Seth Godin 
who doesn't play the social media game. He micro blogs. He does all these things differently, but brilliant dude, you know, who, who approaches things in a really different way to other people who supposedly say, Hey, this is the way you should market. This is the way you should use social media or that kind of stuff. Yeah, I have a hard time with that. I have a hard time with people telling me how to do stuff. <laughs> I just, and yeah, I just think if it doesn't work for me, I mean, I, I went once to get business coaching. I used to get a lot of, you know, back in the day, I thought I'll hire a business coach. And it was very much, oh, you know, you sh you've got to do this, 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 and this, and your Instagram feed needs to look like this, this, and this. And I really struggle with that. I'm just like, hmm not me though you know and i think people can easily fall into that trap yeah. and you know I, I definitely get my temptation sometimes i think oh i need to be doing that but then when i stop and go do i want to do that then it's like uh, no actually i don't really want to do that and that things can change exactly it's, it's very similar to nutrition you know we've all talked about that idea i know I, I talk about a lot with eric the idea that best practice is best practice but you have to move from best practice immediately for the individual same thing in business, you know, there are supposed best practices, but the, the difficult thing with business is the, I guess what we call the confidence interval or the standard deviation is a lot wider as well, because there is best practice, but there are so many anomalies of people who do it very differently, who are still, still ultra successful. So I agree completely. I think that's something that I hope that I've help to sort of put out there as well as you you've got to do it in the way that you want to do it and you've got to do it in a way that you love yeah. otherwise who cares if you're even if you are successful doing something that you don't enjoy or doing it in a way you don't enjoy it it should it doesn't matter mm. at that yeah, point you're, then, you're not then deriving the enjoyment from it yeah yeah totally. i like that how you connected that to nutrition and business and all that that's interesting well, yeah, well, that, that's, there we go. You got to create these analogies for people. <laughs> hey, so you have the welfare event coming up very shortly. Tell the, um, tell the populace out there about welfare. Yeah. So, so speaking of, of doing big things, so I had this idea to do this health and nutrition conference for basically for five years. Uh, since I first started, you know, getting into this this area, and so the timing finally seemed right, and I had this this idea to do well fed. So, well fed is essentially it's twofold. The idea was to bring high caliber speakers to Taranaki because Taranaki, I believe, is a real great little health hub that doesn't get the same things as the big cities. And so I wanted to bring something of the same caliber here to Taranaki. But twofold, I wanted to bring people from outside Taranaki to Taranaki to show them everything that we have to offer here and as far as that whole health and wellness uh, world. So WellFed is, is Labor Day weekend, and we've got yourself. We've got um, Nikki Willenden. We've got Richie Hardcore. We've got Son of a Holt. And we have got Lara Bryden and Scott Gooding from Australia all coming down to little old Taranaki for this massive event. Uh, we've got some cool foodies coming. We've got um, uh, Hunter Gatherer Gourmet and we've got some local Marlena's Kitchen with her amazing jerk seasonings. and it's, Which is awesome, by the way. Yeah, they're awesome. I actually just got a whole <laughs> bunch of, of 
full-size containers for goodie bags, so that's pretty exciting today. Saw her creeping around the house looking for my back door. <laughs> and if, you, if you've ever seen Marlena, she's this beautiful, colorful woman, and all I could see was this flash of color going by the window. Um, <laughs> so we've got some great foodies and some great speakers, and it's at a beautiful venue, like right in the heart of New Plymouth, and sponsored by some amazing companies and they're all just really everything's just coming together it's it's a lot of work and it's absolutely terrifying but i think my biggest thing i've learned in having my own business is that the fear is, is going to be there but you just got to do it anyway and you got to basically my my passion and my drive to do this is bigger than my fear the fear is still going to be there but you just do it anyway and so that's sort of how things have been going with well-fed and it's like, yeah, it's terrifying, but it's also really exciting. So hopefully we'll get a um, few p listeners there. And uh, I know that there's a, there's a discount floating around as well. Yeah, we'll, we'll have that discount. We'll have a discount code up in the show notes for this on, um, on YouTube, uh, over at Facebook. And um, we'll, we'll put that in to the uh, audio podcast as well that we put out. So, um, yeah, you guys will, will all check back for that. It's going to be a great event. I mean, I've been down to speak at two events that you've put on in the past, and I was blown away the first time I went down there, just how many people showed up and and how awesome the event was. You know, it obviously showed that there, there's a real sort of buzz for, for health and, and holism and, you know, all the, the good aspects of health down there in, in Taranaki. Uh, I think you've got an exemplary lineup of speakers, you know, um, I'm thankful to count a, a bunch of them as my buddies. So it's going to be a pretty cool event that way as well. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be awesome. I'm really looking forward to it. And just as a bit of a teaser for anyone listening, uh, I, I'm i most excited. I'm more excited about this talk than any I've given in the last couple of years. I think it's the most important talk that, that I'll give, um, you know, this year at least. Uh, because Ooh. it's just a, an area that I'm so passionate about, and I think it's it's so important. You know, my topic is obviously is going beyond nutrition, because I think we become so focused on the minutiae of our health stuff, we forget why we're doing it. You know, and so I think if we can really help to achieve some breakthroughs there with some people, that'll be awesome. And I think the group of people that you've got there really cover an interesting gamut of things you know you've got scotty who's an amazing whole foods chef and trainer uh you know son of a who's very much that empowered you know mm. female speaker you've got richie who's doing such great social work mickey who i think is one of the best in the business for translating the science into actual application of nutrition you know it's yeah. it's a pretty cool lineup all up yeah yeah, totally. And that the whole idea was to touch on the whole mind, body, spirit, heart inadvertently through the speakers. So there's um, a method to my madness in choosing speakers because I did want to find different speakers to speak on those those key elements of health. Yeah. And it's, you know, to, to me, I don't know whether you thought of, you know, whether this was part of your intention, but for me, that whole idea of well-fed, particularly as I talk a lot about you know, the way we feed ourselves is more than the food we put in our body. It's mm. the environment, it's the it's the media we expose ourselves, all those types of things. And then when you look at the speakers you've got there, 
they all touch on aspects of that, you know. So it's very much about the, the total nourishment that's coming in. Yeah, you got it. That's it. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to it. We'll obviously get all that info up in the show notes as well. I'm stoked that you've been with me today, Michelle, and I really appreciate your time. Um, where can people find out a little bit more about you and the Welfare event? Uh, so the best place would be for, as far as for me, is michelleyandel.com, nice and easy. Nice and as far as the Welfed info is, it's wellfed.info. So they can find the um, the information there. They can also go straight to Ticket Tech and see information on Wellfed on Ticket Tech um, across New Zealand and yeah, social media. I mean, I'm Michelle Yandel Nutrition on all social media platforms. Awesome, and people can find all the links to your social on your website at michelleyandel.com as well. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you, Michelle. We'll call it a day now. I know you're busy and you've got to get off and do lots of media appearances. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> thanks for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks, Cliff. Awesome. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Carb Appropriate Podcast. To support the podcast and receive member-only benefits along with free articles, go to cliffharvey.com. Subscribe to the podcast on all popular podcast channels and to our YouTube channel at holisticperformance.tv.